0: We're going to pray and ask for God to help me and all of us. Would you join me? Father in heaven, we, sometimes we hear in your word things that are amazing and can seem beyond belief. Sometimes we hear things that are confronting and challenging and sometimes for some of us make us not want to listen. But Lord, we pray you give us ears to listen and minds and hearts that are receptive. Please speak truth clearly, faithfully uh, through me this night. And Lord, we pray by your spirit you work in our hearts to help us to believe what you say uh, and to live rightly in, the res- in response to it. Uh, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Uh, in 2009, uh, a woman called Lillian Liddell was a registrar of births, deaths and marriages in London. We'll have the first slide up, please, guys. She held Christian beliefs about marriage. Uh, she was sacked for asking to be excused from performing homosexual partnership ceremonies for reasons of conscience, Uh, even though she'd offered to swap shifts with other registrars who were happy to perform them, uh, she ended up losing her final appeal. Uh, Sometimes when you worship the Lord, it costs you. On the 24th of March this year, Islamist militants attacked a coastal town in northern Mozambique killing dozens and forcing thousands to flee. Boats rescued some, people were captured, others were killed, and children left dying in the bush. The organisation Barnabas Fund reported that anyone who refused to support the jihadists and embrace their beliefs was attacked and their property was burnt. Thus, Christians who refused to deny Christ We're among the victims. Sometimes when you worship the Lord, it can cost you, even your life. Today we see three other men who were willing to lay down their lives in order to resist idolatry and worship only the Lord. And I wonder if you think it's worth it. Today from this fantastic chapter, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to cover three points all beginning with R, three R's before we consider a fourth point, our our response. The first point is the real challenge. But let's set the scene. In the morning creation, we've been going through the book of Daniel. Uh, we're up to chapter three, and I know you've not been, you've not heard chapters one and two preached on. But the book of Daniel is set really at the end of the reign of kings that you have been considering. At the end of the reign of kings, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Israel's already been exiled off, gone effectively for the moment, Uh, and the the Babylonian Empire in about 600 BC has come and defeated the kingdom of Judah uh, and its capital, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And a lot of the people uh, have been taken off as slaves to Babylon, including Daniel and his three friends, men who trusted in the Lord, and we learnt from chapter 1, were given great wisdom uh, by God. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king of this empire, had a dream. A dream of a huge statue with four parts, each part representing a kingdom. He was the head of gold with three kingdoms and then God's kingdom to come after that. But he was the head of gold. That was what happened in chapter 2. And it seems that this dream has given him the idea of building a statue. But it's not just the head of gold now. The whole thing is. It's eight stories high. We don't know that it was, if it was or that it was shaped like Nebuchadnezzar or Neb, as I'll call him affectionately, but it's a very tall and very thin statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. Now, this tall and thin statue, it's so tall and thin, it's, maybe it's a hint of, of the statue's instability. Maybe it won't keep standing. The point of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 was that God gave him his power and his kingdom would not last. But it seems Neb is resisting that here. For Neb, for Nebuchadnezzar, the statue is saying, my kingdom will endure and I demand your total political and religious loyalty. Because for them, in that culture, allegiance to worship of God and nation and king they're all closely interwoven. In verse 4 we're told the officials from all nations and languages they're commanded to worship this gold statue this idol. A Daniel who's likely writing here he describes the events with mocking humor. We don't necessarily pick it up in, in English but The repetition of all the rulers in verse 2 and verse 3. And then the repetition of this long list of instruments in verse 5 and verse 7 and verse 10 and verse 15. It's actually portrayed by the Jewish author as comical. It's like people are robots. And in response to the music, they all just bow down. They all just fall down. Their idolatry is being subtly mocked. And yet it's also most serious. For if you don't bow down and worship the statue, verse 6, you shall immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. This presents all of God's people who worship only the true and living God with a real problem, a real challenge. The Jews who were working for King Neb, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they faced a real challenge. We don't know where Daniel was at the time. He'd been a key figure in the first two chapters. Maybe he was away on a business trip, we're just not told. But what is happening here is an uncompromised command to submit to workplace idolatry. It's clear in verse 12, verse 14, verse 18... That not doubt, when they don't bow down to the statue, these men are failing to serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods and also worship the the statue. Failing to serve his gods or worship the statue. These two activities are connected. And so in their context of their, their work for the government, their work for the crown, these three men are obligated, commanded to bow down before and worship this idol this false God. I wonder what your idol might be. Maybe your idol is your sport, your comfort, your gaming, your family, the thing that matters most to you, that you look to in your life to give you meaning above everything else. But really in this passage and tonight we're focusing on the idols that you are tempted to or pressured to worship in your workplace? And while it won't be a statue, what heart idols, what counterfeit gods are you tempted or pressured to serve, to live for, to worship in your school or in your work? I wonder first, is it the idol of success? Is that what you live for, getting those marks or getting those results that will put you at the top of the class, at school or uni, or or at the top of the pack in your workplace? Is it success in the sense that you're striving for that next promotion, the next raise, the next job, that will help you rise up the corporate ladder? And maybe you're competing with those around you for that success. Or is it success that's measured in monetary gain, Monetary gain for your company or for you personally. So that really what matters more than anything else is to you is money. Or is it about status? That you want that promotion, you want that career so that you can be the best and have others acknowledge that you are the best. Maybe that drive for success or status is what's motivating you to work long hours every day, every week. So honestly, work or study has become your life, the thing that matters most to you. Or maybe you're being pushed to make work your first priority. Or maybe... Maybe the idolatry pushed in your school or workplace is something different. Uh, And maybe it's an LGBTI inclusive agenda that requires everyone to promote and actively support that agenda. A writer called Steve McAlpine, in his book, Being the Bad Guys, Chris referred to him in a previous sermon. He asserts that our society are... that our society is preaching a different, a false gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so our society now is believing and saying that the really the best news in the world is found somewhere else. It's not about Jesus. This false gospel that we hear in our society now is that your gender and sexual identity, which you can determine, is the real you. And the real you... And the meaning and purpose and flourishing, these things are found by looking within. And maybe that's what you believe yourself. But for those of us who know and have been saved by Jesus Christ, the thing that defines us, the thing that defines me most, is not my sexuality, but my status in Christ. By trusting in Jesus, we get joined to him by faith. And we get we become a son or a daughter of God. And that's the identity that I want to that I want to define me. My identity in Christ is is what I want to remember and what I want to teach to my kids. And that's what I want people to hear of from us about how our, how, how our identity in Christ as God's children changes everything for us. It's not just about sex. It's about all of life. Who we are in Jesus for the Christian changes everything. And so I ask, is your identity in Jesus Christian? Is is that what's defining you? In Steve McAlpine's words, sexual identity is the new religion, the thing proclaimed as the locus of deep and lasting meaning, where the truly authentic self is experienced. Sex is the new imperial cult, and leaders and influencers who promote this new faith look no more kindly on disobedience than a group of scheming Persian administrators. He's referring to Daniel chapter 6. But I wonder if you feel this uh, in your own school or your workplace. We are to love all people LGBTI people, no less than others, everyone the same. But do you feel the pressure or the pressure to approve of and promote an LGBTI agenda? And is the goal of life, is the pathway to true happiness found by being true to yourself? No. We are all wired to worship. But if we direct our love inward and think that we can find happiness and flourish by looking within, we only worship the idol of ourselves and will never truly be satisfied, never be saved. So I ask are you worshipping or tempted to worship the idol of self? Your own pleasure whatever idol worship we're having pushed on us, whatever we're tempted by, let's admit that it's a real challenge. And yet, we're not threatened with death for resisting, are we? Even if we Christians may be rejected by our friends or colleagues or potentially for some removed from our job, being burnt to death is not what we're threatened with. And so, remembering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that their lives are on the line, let's return to the text and consider briefly our our second point to the response. From verse 8, we see these Chaldean wise men maliciously accuse the Jews for not bowing down. We're not told that it was because they were racist. It could be that they're jealous, things that happened earlier in the book of Daniel, but It could just simply be that they don't want these men to get away with flouting the law. And like in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, he responds with rage and a short fuse. And he gives, despite that, he gives these three men a hearing and a second chance. But notice his arrogance at the end of verse 15. Who is the God or, or what God can rescue you from my power? And notice how the three Jewish men respond with these fantastic and famous words in verse 17 and 18. The original language here in the Aramaic, which is very similar to Hebrew, uh, in verse 17, the original language of the text is difficult to understand and translate. But I think the English Standard Version is better at this point on the screen. So they're replying to the king, if this be so, they're thrown into the fire. Our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. In other words, our God is powerful enough to rescue us and we believe he will. How they knew that, I don't know. But then they continue. Even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Right here, they are refusing to disobey the first two of the Ten Commandments. They're not focused on themselves. They're willing to give up their lives for their Lord. This is bold, civil disobedience to the law. And it reminded me of Peter and the apostles in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, they are told by the authorities to stop speaking about Jesus. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. Same thing's happening there. And what are the results of this? It's our, our next point, the results. Firstly, we see Nebuchadnezzar's response in his anger. Kids, I don't know if you're listening or reading or doing something else. I don't know if you've been listening to the story. But did you hear how Nebuchadnezzar is filled with anger? How angry he is. And we're told that his face changed. And I'm wondering right now if you can show me a super angry face. Like. That's how he's feeling. Neb is so angry. His super angry face is showing. And in his anger, he he's, is this. It's sort of this typical pagan dictator overkill. Instead of heating the fire two times hotter, it's seven times hotter. Seven times hotter than what it was. And then he gets some of his strongest soldiers with the biggest muscles to throw these three men into the fire because he wants no chance of them escaping. And what's the result for these three men of God? Well, we're told, didn't weren't we, that the, the strongest soldiers got killed. But not even the clothes of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego got burnt. One thing that my wife, Kirsty, doesn't really like about camping, she doesn't like camping generally, but but one thing she really doesn't like about camping is how the smell of smoke gets into everything, or into all your clothes, but not for these guys. And I know how hair can burn in a fire too, because I have hairy arms and legs. Seems to catch on fire easily at a campfire. But we're told, aren't we, these guys, verse 27, no hair is singed and not even the smell of fire is on them. Talk about complete and total protection. How'd this come about? Because as King Neb saw, verse 25, in the fire with them was a fourth man, one who appeared like a son of the gods. It was likely God's angel, as Neb says in verse 28, sent to rescue them. It's also possible, though, that it is the pre-incarnate Son of God, the one who would be our Lord Jesus. We don't know. But theologically, we can say that God was in the midst of them. He was in the fire with them. And that's actually what he's promised what Jesus promised for us his followers for us with whatever we go through he said I am with you always we heard it at the baptism didn't we I will be with you always I am with you always to the very ends not only of your life but the age Hebrews 13 God promises never will I leave you or forsake you in Psalm 23 this is a great promise to cling to Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. What great promises that you and I can cling to and rely on and trust in when we go through suffering and walk through fire metaphorically, even when we face our own death. Like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the the message is trust in God. Whatever comes Trust in God. We heard the great Nebuchadnezzar dare God to rescue these three men from His grip, and God did. God's power in this miracle mocks Nebuchadnezzar and his plans. And what's the final result and response from Nebuchadnezzar? Look at verse twenty-eight. He praises Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God for they trusted in him and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Nebuchadnezzar praises the true and living God, declaring that no other God is able to rescue like this. And at the end of the chapter, I think it's funny that the three men who disobeyed him end up getting promoted. I think it's also funny in a dark way that he's still responding with over-the-top threats. I mean, in verse 29, it's a bit like trying to bludgeon people to believe in Jesus. It's never going to result in heart change. You can't threaten people and have it be effective like that. But if you go on tonight or tomorrow to read chapter 4, you'll see that God is not done with Nebuchadnezzar, and it's actually his heart that still needs to change. But as we think about our fourth and final R, what's the response for us it's our hearts that i want to engage and i ask, what would your response be if you were in shadrach's shoes would you by god's grace be willing to be cast into the flames over worshiping an idol whether you are six years old 16 or 60 would you be willing to be killed for christ I ask, brothers and sisters, would Nebuchadnezzar be able to say, verse 28, about you? That you trust in God and you're willing to risk your life rather than serve or worship any God except your own? I know this all seems so foreign and so far removed from us, because none of us, in this country are facing death for following Jesus, but, but people have, and people do. In 1555, Queen Mary Tudor, in her efforts to restore England to Roman Catholicism, she burnt Hugh Latimer and others at the stake for his beliefs. He was a Protestant bishop. And in Latimer's famous last words to his friend Wid Ridley, also there tied to the stake, he said, we shall this day light such a candle in England as I hope by God's grace shall never be put out. In 2009, a woman called Asiya Bibi was told to bring water to some fellow workers at a field in Pakistan. Pakistan. They declined the water, saying it was contaminated because she was a Christian. They pressured her to convert to Islam, and she got so annoyed and provoked that she said she did not believe that Muhammad was a true prophet. For that remark, she got dragged away by a mob. She was arrested, charged with blasphemy, and sentenced to death. They said, change your faith and you will be freed. Two Pakistani politicians were later killed for supporting her. She spent 10 years in prison. Uh, She was eventually released and she escaped to Canada. But Asiya refused to deny Christ. She was released, but many have died. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament speaks to this situation when it gives this roll call of people of faith. And at the end, the writer mentions uh, those who quenched the raging of fire, uh, escaped the edge of the sword, those who gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. This is believers who were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. And all these were approved through their faith or commended for their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. So did you notice that? That at the end of Hebrews 11, that some people, some believers were saved from death. Others suffered and died. Others were imprisoned and tortured and killed. But all of them were looking forward to this future better resurrection. Through their faith, their trust in God, all of them died waiting for, looking forward to the new creation resurrection that God had promised. You see, Jesus has died and risen again, hasn't he? Jesus, by his resurrection has opened the door for our resurrection. And if we trust in him, then he has defeated for us our spiritual death. And so we don't need to fear death. and We don't need to fear judgment. Because of faith in Jesus, we now have forgiveness of sins, we have friendship with God, and we look forward to life forever with God in heaven. You see, these promises that God is with us now and of this abundant blessing in the life to come, such promises mean that, that we Christians can face prison and suffering and death with hope and with endurance. We should pray for Christians around the world enduring horrible persecution I ask, do you and will you pray for Christians in Nigeria, Pakistan, North Korea and so many other places? Horribly and shamefully, LGBT people and others because of their race or their inner minority, they also have suffered persecution and abuse and it's inexcusable. But our focus in Daniel chapter 3 here is on being persecuted for and suffering for one's faith in God. And whether you're a student at school or an adult in Australia, we aren't facing torture and prison and death for our faith in Jesus as Lord. But we do face persecution of a lesser kind and it's increasing. The word persecute means to be pursued. And maybe you know what it's like to have people come after you because you hold to or you speak the truth of God's word. Maybe they're coming after you online, on social media. Or you may know what it's like, as verse 36 says, to be mocked. Verse 37, to be mistreated. Or to be pressured to give in, give up, and worship the idols that that everyone else lives for. This passage has made me ask, am I willing to endure mistreatment, abuse, a loss of respect, a loss of acceptance, a loss of friendship for Jesus? Recent law changes in Victoria have made me ask, am I willing to go to prison for speaking the truth? whether it's the truth about marriage or gender or morality or that Jesus is the only way to God. By the grace of God, we can be willing to endure that and it is worth it. It is worth it because we know where our hope lies and this life is not all there is. Trusting in the God who rules over all And in the certain hope, the certain hope of resurrection, it enables us to resist idolatry now. God rules over all. And he's worthy of our worship, our lives, our everything. In 2015, Dr. Paul Church, who'd been a respected urologist in Boston, Massachusetts, for 30 years, he lost his job His crime was to resist pressure, to participate in gay pride events and to speak about the health risks of a homosexual lifestyle. Would you be willing to lose your job because you worship Christ above all? God wants us to show a lesbian, gay, transgender people the same love and respect as all human beings. And that matters to me. But as McAlpine says in that book, Being the Bad Guys, he says, even if you love and respect your colleagues and you work and treat people with integrity and you seek their blessing, when you decide it's time to take a stand or speak up, it may have consequences. You may lose your job. Your influence, your status, you may even lose your friends or the approval of your family, no matter how lovingly you explain yourself. Teachers in Victoria are being pushed to promote sexual diversity in the classroom. Doctors, mental health professionals, now anyone, even parents, are instructed that affirmation is the only legitimate response to young people seeking to gender transition. It's hard to honor God in a hostile workplace and culture. And it may be harder for you than I know. So, when you, Christian, feel the pressure or temptation to give in, to stay quiet, to go with the flow and worship an idol, what can you do? How do we become people who worship God and not our idols? Tim Keller, in his book, King's Cross, he says Christians are free to take or leave money, power, recognition, status. How? Well, these things at the top, they're at the top of the kingdom of this world. But they don't have to control Christians in the same way anymore. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, it frees you. The answer is not you do better, you do more. You see, idols need to be replaced displaced they're not suppressed they're eclipsed by a greater desire for something else and so he says reflect on the cross the death the Victorian, victorious resurrection of our lord jesus and you will see the glory of god in the face of christ and our lives will be reoriented around this vision just like the planets are oriented around the sun Money, work, sex, status are no longer at the blazing centre of all things. Jesus is. And if career or success is a a big idol for you, such that you overwork or envy and feel unrecognised, well, nothing good happens to you. But remember, something good has happened to you. Jesus groaned in agony for you on the cross, Christian. And that's the greatest news your soul will ever hear. Maybe you've been saying, I don't want to speak up about my Christian beliefs to my work colleague. Or as a nurse, I don't want to say why I won't be involved in that abortion. Or as a student or a worker, I, don't, I want to stay quiet. I want to stay quiet about why I won't attend the, the rainbow celebration. I say sometimes it is best to be quiet. Sometimes it is best to say nothing. Other times it's right to speak up. Pray for wisdom in that. Pray for wisdom to, to know the difference. But when you're asked a question, be honest. Speak the truth in love. And when you're obligated to disobey God, worship a counterfeit God, or honestly worship the new religion of sexual identity, then make a stand. Sometimes your worship of the Lord will cost you. It's worth it though. So as I conclude, let's be inspired by the example of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who trusted God and said the God we worship is able to rescue us. And even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. Follow their example. Resist the worship of idols by going deeper into Jesus. Let's pray now. Now, Father God, we um, thank you for your miraculous protection and saving of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego all those years ago. And Father, we know that you don't always protect your people and save them from physical death now as we just read in hebrews but lord we praise you for this and it reminds us you are able to save you are able to rescue you can change our circumstances but but more than that god we pray for any of us here who for all of us here who are christians that you might help us to be faithful to our god and do what is right and resist idolatry in our workplaces please help us to trust in your strength and not our own so often we're weak and we're overwhelmed by fear. So help us, Lord, to remember that Jesus is and have Jesus the, the blazing centre of our lives so that, that we would find help and strength to live his way. For any of us here, Lord, too, who don't know really who this Jesus is, or the great joy of having him as Lord and Saviour, we pray that you'd help them to think deeply about these things, you might help them to find answers in your word, And the wonderful truth that Jesus can give us not only change lives now, but hope of eternity with the living God in in the age to come. So please, God, work in each of our hearts by your spirit. Help us to trust Jesus, to go deep into him so that our idols might be eclipsed. Amen.